Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with the University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Macomb, Illinois. And we have got a jam-packed show for you today, folks. We have Andrew Holsinger, horticulture educator with U of I Extension. Uh, he's going to be on the show, and we're going to be talking about an upcoming webinar series that we are going to be uh, putting together. It's a holiday-themed and winter-themed topics. But before we get to Andrew, let's introduce our hosts here that are going to lead us through all of the potpourri, a smattering of topics here that we're going to cover. Local foods educator, Katie Parker. Welcome to the show. Hey there, Chris. How are you doing? I am doing peachy today. It is a kind of a cloudy winterish type day. So mm -hmm. kind of in the mood to talk about wintry holiday things. Yeah, definitely. This cold weather is putting me in the mood to uh, put up some Christmas decorations. Same here. I think actually I, uh, we're going to do them early this year. Uh, going home, testing some Christmas lights. We're going to throw some Christmas lights on the house this week. So, yeah. yes. And we are also joined by horticulture educator Ken Johnson. Hey, Ken. Hello, Chris and Katie. And we have not taken our Christmas lights down for three years, I think, now. So <laughs> ours are currently up and on. Oh. Efficiency. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Ken just loves Christmas. That's what it is. It's, that may be part of it, too. Cornelius. <laughs> there, he goes. there he goes. And we learned, I think, was it last last week when we talked with Kelly also about pollinators that Ken doesn't have any outdoor lights, um, but he does have Christmas lights now. So yeah, there aren't many miles out flying now, so I don't have to worry about them. Getting <laughs> doesn't have to worry time. about it. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Well, Ken, you have been telling us all about uh, how your, your family grew <clears throat> cotton and peanuts, just kind of, you know, the kids wanted to do it, some, try new crop every year, and it's time to share, it being the end of the year, what happened with your cotton and your peanuts? So, Ken, please tell us all about it. So, this is the, the type of cotton we grew this year. So, this is red foliated cotton. For those of you watching, you can actually see the pictures if you're listening. Um, you can go to the YouTube if uh, recording of this if you really want to see the pictures. Um, so this one um, has kind of got darker reddish foliage. So this is kind of a little more of an ornamental uh, type cotton. So you can see the, the flowers there. Um, bottom left, kind of those pink flowers look like hibiscus. They're all related. Um, they're all in the same family. So they have a similar flower to hibiscus, um, okra. All of those plants are the Malvaceae, all related. Um, then you can see, uh, top picture, you can see some of those bowls opening up, um, those big kind of purplish cone type balls. Those are the, the cotton bowls that haven't split open yet. And then the middle, as you can see, we, um, we've got that cotton um, picture on the top right. We got the, the basically all the cotton my kids have picked this year. There's a Lego and a pencil for scale. So we've got a pretty decent um, har or cotton harvest off of these. I think we had, we planted about eight plants, about four of them really produced for us. A couple of the others, <clears throat> they didn't get quite as much sun. So they didn't produce quite as quickly. Um, and we got a frost right about when they were starting right to open up. So we didn't really get too much cotton off of some of them. Um, this is, it's a nice plant. It's, it's kind of got that, again, that ornamental um, look to it. Then we kind of get the bonus of getting cotton on them. And there's a nice contrast with that darker foliage um, and those white um, cotton balls on there. And then the, the peanuts we grew were the Tennessee red Valencia peanut. Uh, so you can see that the plants um, in that top left picture, that's, probably a month, month or so after we put them uh, in the raised beds. 
Um, I put them in raised beds because <clears throat> I didn't think they'd do too well in our soils. We have a lot of clay, kind of heavy soil. So I figured um, raised bed may be a little bit better. Uh, by the end of the growing season, they completely filled up um, our raised bed. Um, you can see the some of the developing peanuts. Um, they So they'll flower. They have these little yellow flowers. And for some reason, I never took pictures of those this year or I lost the pictures. Um, when they're done blooming, they'll, they'll kind of grow down into the ground. And those peanuts are actually going to be developing underground. So you pull those plants up, you can see those uh, developing peanuts. Um, and these are um, kind of a red skinned, that papery skin on them. That's, these are red skinned peanuts. Um, so I think we had about 15 plants. Um, <clears throat> you can see in the middle picture, there, those are the peanuts after I've harvested them and kind of washed them off. Um, they filled about a nine by 13 baking pan, um, roasted those. Unfortunately, I lost track of time, got distracted and I burnt all the peanuts. <laughs> so they're not particularly good tasting. Um, but just means I'll have to grow them again next year to, uh, to see what they actually taste like when they're properly roasted. Those are like strikingly ornamental too. Those are really mm -hmm. pretty plants. Yeah, the peanuts, yeah, they make, you can almost use them almost like a ground cover because um, they'll fill in real nicely. And then the flowers, you can't always see them because a lot of times they're covered by that, the foliage canopy, but they, they have really pretty yellow flowers. They look similar to like a, like a bean flower, that kind of that shape. Um, but these were kind of bright yellow flowers on them too. So all in all a success, we'll probably grow some more next year. At least the kids have told us they want us to grow some more. And, and for all these, we started these early in the spring inside because we just don't have a long enough growing season here in Illinois to, to kind of direct seed them. Well, that's awesome. And so with the cotton being in the Malvaceae and I was looking at the flowers, are these pollinator driven or is it wind pollination? As far as I know, it's, it's insect, but don't quote me on that. Okay. Um, <laughs> I would see bees and stuff on there. Yeah, I'm not sure if mm -hmm. if they can so they would be one pollinate. They could self pollinate or or if they need the, the insects moving that around. Well, very pretty plants, and I think that's even more reason more of us should be growing some maybe cotton and peanuts in our yards next year. It's, they're fun. It's pretty easy. Didn't really have any pest problems with them. So we'll see if we grow them for a couple of years if that changes, but yeah, yeah. First like year, pumpkins. Yeah. yeah. First year, no, no issue, no real issues. <laughs> well, thank you, Ken, for sharing uh, your peanut and cotton harvest story with us this whole year and then giving us a nice glimpse of the growing conditions and the harvest. But You're we welcome. are also joined by horticulture educator Andrew Holsinger. And Andrew, where are you located these days? Well, I'm still. Main office in, is in Montgomery County and not doing uh, too much other travel to the other counties that I serve, Christian, Jersey, and Macoupin counties. But, That's uh, true. My web presence is strong. That's right. <laughs> it's strong with this one. <laughs> the uh, uh, Technology Award winner for Extension this year. So way to go. Congratulations, Andrew. Hey, thank you. And so Andrew is helping us out put uh, with the, the, the webinars that we're going to be doing coming up. And we have a string of webinars, uh, mostly holiday themed and winter themed uh, uh, topics for folks. And we will, of course, post links to these uh, in the show notes down below. Uh, but, you know, we wanted to, to share kind of these topics. And then we went through and we looked at questions that are related to the webinars that we're going to be uh, showing you. And then, you know, so we're, we're going to go through that. Um, but, but coming up, 
Katie, you're going to kick us off with our first webinar. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so we're going to do a webinar on Christmas tree types and their care. So how to best maintain those. Um, it's really interesting to dive deeper and look at the different tr Christmas tree types that are available uh, and see kind of what their positive and negatives are, if they have good needle retention. Uh, growing up, we always had a live Christmas tree. And one thing that I loved the most about it was that uh, that smell. And so some trees give off a better aroma than other trees. And so this will be a great opportunity to figure out what kind of tree is best for your likings uh, if you're interested in having a live Christmas tree. And then we'll also be discussing how can we maintain the Christmas tree? What are some things to look at or do when we go to a Christmas tree lot or a live, or if you go out to the woods um, or if you cut one down at a, a Christmas tree farm, um, things to look at, things to do to plan before you go, um, and then how to take care of it once you get it back to your house to make sure that you're able to keep that aroma, keep your needles intact. Um, and then we'll also have some fun activities. So you always need to add some decorations to your Christmas tree to make it look um, even more festive. And so we have some really cool uh, ornament ideas that Ken, Chris, and Andrew are going to lead you in. So uh, that should be a lot of fun. All right, we're going to fire up the hot glue guns and yes. see what we can make. <laughs> hot glue guns and some glitter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then uh, that following week, and so uh, these are week by week, we have Andrew. You're going to talk to us about fun with evergreen foliage. Oh, it's always fun when you have evergreen foliage. It's one of the key characteristics of winter is that evergreen foliage that gives you some winter interest. And so it's uh, something you can uh, also, you know, if you're putting together some decorations, you can use some evergreen foliage right in your own backyard and your own landscape, or you can go see your local forest or florist or garden center and, uh, you know, build up your supply. If it's your neighbors, always ask permission first, right? Or some public spaces and, you mm -hmm. know, you know, everybody's yeah. got a mask on these days. So That's true. I don't know. <laughs> Just blame it on the deer. <laughs> that is excellent. Yes. And we're going to talk about other festive activities, uh, kind of decorative items that you can use with uh, har either harvested foliage, whether you get it outside or you go to a tree lot and you can get some there. And then that next week, we're going to be talking about popular holiday plants and their care. So that's going to be on December 9th. And we're all kind of taking our own uh, perspective here on plants. And, and Ken, you're talking about uh, which one is Do it? Doing Norfolk Island Pine. <laughs> so that's talk about right. how, where those come from, how to properly care for them so you can last a little bit longer than just the Christmas season, holiday season. Keep them going year in, year out. Yes, and what to look out for, because these are all really popular plants. Katie, you're doing poinsettia, correct? I believe I'm actually doing Christmas cactus and Thanksgiving cactus. That's right. <laughs> so that's okay. And I asked you about that earlier. <laughs> so Christmas cactus. Andrew's doing yeah. poinsettia. There you go. All right, Katie. So, but you're doing the Christmas yeah. cactus um, portion. Yep. 
Christmas cactus, Thanksgiving cactus, they're both short day plants, um, how we can take care of them. Um, and yeah, we have a question coming up in a bit uh, and I'll share some information about that. Awesome. Yeah. And, and these, these plants, um, they, sometimes they, they are passed down generation mm -hmm. to generation. They can be some old, old plants. So that's pretty cool. And Andrew, sorry about the kerfuffle, but you're doing poinsettias. That's correct. One of the top selling plants in the green industry. Yes. I'll be covering the poinsettia and giving you all these helpful tips to keep them going. Or, you know, they are a pretty easily obtainable, obtainable uh, plant. So if you want to get rid of your poinsettia, that's fine too. Very good. And I'll be chatting about amaryllis and what you can do to hopefully keep that plant alive year after year and get it to rebloom. And then then the next week, December 16th, uh, Ken, you're talking about holiday spices. What, what, we, what, what holiday spices are you getting into? So we're going to talk about kind of cinnamon, um, cloves, kind of those real popular kind of spices we use this time of year. We'll get into peppermint, citrus. Those are some other kind of popular cooking ingredients or, or herbs, whatever you want to call them, uh, during the holidays, kind of where they come from. Um, if we can grow them here in Illinois, kind of how you would go about doing that give you a little bit of a teaser. Most of them are tropical, so you're going to be growing them inside most of the year, but some of them are going to be easier to grow than others, but we'll talk about how you can grow them and stuff. What part of the, that plant that we're using um, for the, those spices or what have you? I think you're talking about ginger too, aren't you? Of course, the best plant to grow, ginger. <laughs> the ginger because, king. <laughs> that's right. I, uh, I uh, harvested uh, over 80 pounds of ginger this last year. So, um, and uh, you know, I, I actually, I saw Katie the other day and I'm like, I came back, I'm like, I really should have just given Katie like, you know, 20 pounds of ginger because I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Everybody so, needs some ginger, right? <laughs> right. Everyone does. <laughs> you get some ginger. I'm like the Oprah Winfrey of ginger. Give it away as Christmas gifts. That's right. Good stocking stuffer. Fresh ginger. Make some gingerbread man. Men. That's right. A little ginger beer to go with your gingerbread man. And then we're going to round out this kind of wintry holiday webinar series January 6th after the new year. We're going to be talking about birds and creating uh, a backyard haven for birds. And then Ken, Katie, Andrew, you're going to get into how we can build maybe little at-home feeders for our little birds. And that will be exciting. So we're looking forward to that. So right now it's uh, November 17th as we're recording. Still plenty of time to register for these webinars. And again, we will leave those links in the description below. And if you want to keep up to date with what we have going on, if this is in the, say, the future, and uh, you, you want to know, hey, is the Good Growing folks doing anything else? You can subscribe to our Good Growing blog, and we will also leave a link to that. Uh, but that's a really good way to stay current with what's going on. And we even have a weekly email that we send out with that. Well, folks, in addition to giving you information about webinars and all of the other educational activities that we do here at U of I Extension, this is also a question and answer show. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, we went and we mined former questions about the topics that we're going to be having on our webinars. So Christmas trees and foliage and uh, you know, growing herbs and spices and birds. And so we have a smattering uh, of topics to cover today, quite a few questions. And so we're going to kick it off here to Katie. Um, so this first one is about Christmas trees. And uh, this 
homeowner, they asked that they would like to have a live Christmas tree. So top roots, everything still alive. They want to know what do they recommend that they plant in order for them to, to keep the tree alive, I guess, after the holidays. So, and also how, you know, do they plant the tree right after Christmas? Well, how does that work? Yeah, so um, some Christmas trees that grow well in our, our area um, include Douglas fir, Eastern white pine, the Scotch pine, white spruce, Norway spruce, and a Colorado blue, blue spruce. So those are what um, we most commonly grow in this area. As I had mentioned before, you kind of have to figure out what you want in a Christmas tree. Uh, so like a Douglas fir has good needle retention. Um, however, the branches aren't as strong. So if you have heavier ornaments, maybe this isn't a route that you want to go. It also has a sweet fragrance. Um, so for me, I used um, more of your like hollow ball ornaments. Um, and so those are very lightweight. So it should hold up. It has a sweet fragrance, which is something that I'm looking for. And I also don't really want the needles falling all over my carpet. Um, so that's something that maybe I would think about for that one. Um, typically with our Christmas trees, our pines retain their uh, needles the longest and the spruces retain their needles the shortest amount of time. Um, so if you're wanting to put up a Christmas tree, say before Thanksgiving, you may want to put up a or plant also by a pine tree rather than a spruce um, as they're probably not going to last quite as long. Um, with planting your Christmas tree, I actually listened to a radio um, station the other day and they asked a bunch of kids how long they think it takes to grow a Christmas tree and it was anywhere from 51 minutes to a million years. Um, <laughs> so that's probably not the actual time frame typically for a Christmas tree average size um, that you're going to have for a smaller space can take anywhere from like seven to 10 years. If you're going to do a larger Christmas tree, obviously it's going to take a longer period of time. Um, there is like, like trimming that needs to be done when growing your own Christmas tree. And so that's something to think about too, is uh, that maintenance that goes into it. Um, and so if you're wanting to see this Christmas tree grow and develop over the years, you can bring it in each year, uh, even if it is small and have it in a smaller space. And then as it grows, you can use it as like your primary Christmas tree, um, just kind of your own personal preference. But as for planting it each year, um, I would say as long as the ground's not too frozen to plant it into the ground, um, it would be fine. Maybe this Chris or Ken, Andrew, tree specialist, um, with the frozen ground, would that hurt the roots too much or damage, cause any issues with that? Well, having planted several trees in frozen ground, I'd say most of the damage comes to the the planter's shoulders and back. Okay. Uh, it, it's not fun to pickaxe through frozen ground. Yeah. So I, I, if anything have the hole dug before the ground freezes. That's an idea. I would say. And two, if you're bringing it in and out each year, you might just leave that hole there. So that way you can take it back out 
Um, but yeah, it's a, it's something that's become a lot more popular. Like people like to, um, see their tree grow or grow with their tree. And so that can be something fun to do with your family, especially, especially if you have some young ones. Um, And I would say one thing, if you've got it inside, you'd want to slowly transition that to outside. If you bring it from inside where it's 70 degrees to outside when it's in the twenties or thirties, it's going to go through some there's some shock and it's not going to like that very much. I'd also say watch for insects and diseases too. Like if there's any insects issues um, on the tree. I noticed the other day I was messing around with some um, cedar for my parents um, and it had bagworms on it, which I mean, it's not necessarily an issue um, for your inside plants, um, but it's just something to watch out for. And it can be a good way to kind of keep an eye on pests because uh, if you're hanging ornaments on a tree, you're having a more inner or close up relationship with your tree and you can see those insects and diseases that might be developing. I never thought of it like that. Christmas tree is a way to expose people to kind of a more close up intimate viewpoint of trees. That's really cool. Yeah, I like that. Excellent. So our next question, uh, this is for Andrew. So Andrew, you're doing the class on Christmas wreaths, and this is one about greenery. Um, So they're asking, they harvest greenery to make a wreath. Um, They said most of it dried up and turned brown in just about a a couple weeks. Uh, They think they use pine. And if I remember correctly, that we were never quite sure, was it pine or spruce, but um, they think they use pine. They want to know if they make another wreath, do they spray the wreath with something to keep this from happening again? And also a little bit of background is I, this call came in in earlier October. Okay. So, you know, they made it pretty early in the year. Well, they may have wanted to wait a little bit uh, for gathering their materi- materials until after a hard frost. Usually they have a better needle retention after the hard frost because it becomes more dormant and it goes, you know, transitions into the dormant stage of a tree. And so are there antitransparents that could be applied? Yes, there are some antitransparents, but they can only be applied to certain kinds of foliage whenever you get to, you know, some of your berries and other ornamental features that you maybe put it on the wreath that may damage that waxy kind of covering that is on those. And so have to use some caution there. But uh, typically wreaths last uh, in an indoor setting about seven to 10 days and outdoors, you know, up to maybe three or four weeks. So it's uh, a lot of it has to do with the, you know, temperature that the the wreath gets to. And, you know, if you want to keep it longer, you can keep it in a cooler area, maybe put it in a plastic bag to, you know, if you're not presenting it in, you know, for display, you know, protect it, uh, you know, try to keep the humidity up. Sometimes whenever you're storing greens to uh, before you build your wreath, you may want to spritz it with some water, not too much in excess because it can, you know, cause some mold issues, but uh, keeping that humidity up and depending on what kind of uh, foliage you want to gather, you know, for holly, you don't want to 
expose that to freezing temperatures after you've harvested it because it'll turn black. And so there are, you know, different characteristics, but uh, there are a lot of different kinds of foliage that you can use and you can get quite creative, you know, with your wreath making efforts. It's good to know about the holly thing because I, I now have a holly bush in my backyard and it is loaded with red berries and I wanted to do something with that this year. So you've saved me from turning my luscious green hollies into black hollies because I was thinking door swag, but maybe indoor door swag. Maybe indoor. There you go. To Kissing the kids' ball. room. <laughs> Kissing ball, yes. Kissing. <laughs> That's what you're talking about, right, Ken, for that um, webinar? I am. Yeah. <clears throat> and thanks to these pointers from Andrew, I know how to harvest my, my greenery when I go out and start picking it. Well, it's finally getting really cold every night now. So hopefully, fingers crossed, that's the cold snap that we need for some good harvesting. And Ken, our next question actually uh, is for you. And this has to do with greenery and harvesting. They want to go out and they want to harvest some greens to lay over their mantle but they're afraid of insects uh, and they want to know, is there something they could also spray on these greens, but not to keep them fresh to kill any bugs that they might bring in. So I don't, there's probably not much you could really spray on it. Uh, most of the insects this time of year are going to be dormant. So those sprays really aren't going to do much good. Plus you're bringing it inside, <clears throat> which kind of complicates things as well. Um, if you're doing this, I would probably just kind of closely inspect that that uh, that greenery before you pick it make sure there's no you know bag worms or um you know praying mantis egg cases anything like that on there um that you're bringing inside if you do happen to bring in something like that inside you know they those eggs may hatch they may emerge but they really don't have anywhere to go anything to eat so they're probably going to die relatively quickly so it's not i wouldn't really be concerned if you do happen to bring something in it's the stuff you're bringing in probably not going to do any kind of damage to your house um, or anything like that. It's, it's going to be more of a nuisance um, for a little bit. And eventually, um, that stuff, if it doesn't have any food, it's, it's eventually going to die. So just be kind of more of a temporary annoyance than anything else. Yeah. It, you know, if these are, um, I think it was during our spider episode, you know, uh, Dr. Casey Athey, she said, uh, you know, most of these spiders are adapted to being outside to bring them in, they're going to die. So probably the same situation or similar with, with many insects. I will say I've I've always hoped when we get live Christmas tree that there's a praying mantis egg sack on there, but <laughs> I have not been that fortunate yet. Aw, the gift that keeps on giving with <laughs> hundreds of baby praying mantids. That's beautiful. It's like the story of Christmas. <laughs> All right. The next question that we have here uh, is for Katie. So these folks, they have, it uh, sounds like a beautifully shaped uh, evergreen in their yard, but it's too big probably to fit in their room, you know, like in Christmas vacation, you know, it's, you know, a little full, a lot of sap. So, but they would just want to take the top off the tree, you know, maybe the top six or seven foot, it looks like. Um, can they take the top off the tree and will the tree then regrow a new top? Yeah. So, you can do anything if you set your mind to it. Um, that's right. That's what, that's what someone said. Is a cousin Eddie. I can't remember who said that, but yeah. yeah. Uh, you can definitely do that, but um, it's not going to regrow in what you're expecting it or how you're expecting it to regrow. Uh, so you're going to get a lot of little shoots from where you've cut that top off. Uh, and so you're going to have a lot of main 
um, main leads to that tree. And so you can create one main lead from all those shoots, uh, but chances are is it's going to be like a side shoot. And so your tree might be crooked and it's probably not going to take the shape that you had hoped it would. Um, so your best bet is either cut the tree down and then cut the top off the tree um, or go find another tree. Um, and if you don't do a very nice job cutting the that top out, you could also potentially kill the tree. Um, and so you, either way, it's it's not the best uh, thing to do for that tree. Yeah, if it, I, would, I would say if it's beautiful now, why ruin that? Um, the, it, I either go look for, go, go to the tree lot or go to a Christmas tree farm and find find another beautiful tree that, and, and keep the living one in your yard intact. One, one of you mentioned before we started, just think about what the, uh, that what they do when they come trim trees along power lines, what those evergreens look like when they're done. So that's, that's kind of what you're going to end up with. Look like, like a dwarf evergreen, you know, it's just, it's stunted. And uh, a lot of times the, yeah, like Katie mentioned, it just goes, goes, all these little twigs sprout out these epicormic shoots. And yeah. If you want to take a tree and uh, take the top off it, you can get an artificial one. You can even stage it upside down. If you want to get kind of creative. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. So yeah, top your tree and then go get an artificial one, turn it upside down and put it on there. That would be beautiful. It's an hourglass evergreen. There you go. Andrew has all the best ideas. All right. Our next question. Uh, this is, well, it, it's for Andrew. Um, so here they're asking uh, every year they try to keep their poinsettia alive, but it always dies. Uh, they say they leave it in the container, they make sure to water it, they put it by the sunniest window that they have, but it still dies. What can they do to keep their poinsettia They need alive? to know the hidden secrets, Chris. Yeah. Ah, that's it. The secrets in Andrew is going to shine a light on some so of those So you secrets. do need to water your poinsettia plant, but often they are covered with a shiny, fancy material that covers the pot. And so you can fill your pot to your greatest desire with water and you can drown your poinsettia because the water has nowhere to go so you got to you know remove some of that paper cut some you know a slit in it put some holes in it where the water may go into a saucer and that water can drain into a saucer but still that water is still available to the poinsettia because it's in a saucer so you need to empty the saucer now the saucers are great for you know keeping from ruining maybe your tablecloth or you know, that kind of thing, but you need to get rid of the water. You know, you do need to check it for water also to make sure that you're getting a, you know, a thorough watering accomplished. And uh, I'd also say other things that uh, can kill a poinsettia. Well, the drafts or the airflow around them. And so even when you go to purchase a poinsettia, you'll want to make sure that it's protected from the cool breeze that whenever you take it outdoors so you can request a sleeve to go around the plant or put a bag over it as you're traveling outdoors i had encountered a florist one time uh, that he was new to the floral industry so to speak or whatever and he thought he'd get an early start for packing a van full of poinsettias and so he put the poinsettias in the van and left them overnight and it was not good news in the morning. So 
you can't these these uh, plants like temperatures that uh, are associated with the temperatures that we like. So you need to keep them you know around room temperature and uh, just moderate the amount of air you know and they do need in a bright location. So don't put them you know right up next to the window, right up to the glass, because that glass can get fairly cold and it may cause damage to the plant, but put them in a bright sunny location, moderate the drafts that are around it and check it for watering. And you should be able to maintain the, the plant at least through the holiday season. And then if you wanna venture on to keep it uh, next year, then you got a, a task of isolating it from light and you know, uh, kind of a, long process of getting it to rebloom. And they're actually not blooms, they're modified leaves that are called bracts. So a little trivia there for you. Is it weird that when I go over to people's houses for the holidays, I always put my finger in the poinsettia soil to see if they overwater it or not? <laughs> <laughs> and there's almost always sopping wet. <laughs> yeah, as your Andrew's right, that has a decorative foil around the base and the water just sits in a swimming pool and nobody would wants their feet sitting in a pool of water like that so yeah good drainage good drainage that foil is just decorative it's just there to sell the plant after you get it home yeah cut slits or take it off our next question this is uh for katie um so uh katie this question they're wanting to know they have a cactus they, they're not sure what it is though. They want to know, is it a Thanksgiving or Christmas cactus? What are some ways to distinguish between the two? So a popular way of determining which you have is looking at the leaves. And so I actually have a Thanksgiving cactus, um, which it should have some blossoms on it right now, but it doesn't um, because it is actually... Um, I have placed it in the wrong place. It's next to a bright window and it's also under a table lamp. And so it's um, light period cycle gets disrupted often. Uh, but when looking at the leaves uh, to determine if you have a Thanksgiving or Christmas cactus, um, you can look at like the jaggedness of the leaves. So a Thanksgiving cactus will have a more claw-like. So you can see these Obviously, if you're not watching the video, um, you won't be able to tell, but it has more pointed ends, whereas a Christmas cactus, um, those aren't as prominent. It's going to be more smooth, um, and it doesn't quite have those, those claws to it. Um, so that's a good identifier. Also, uh, your Thanksgiving cactus is going to start putting blossoms or blooms on uh, closer to the Thanksgiving time period whereas a Christmas is going to be closer to, to Christmas. Um, I've also read that you can look at the, um, like the anthers, the pollen and anthers. Have you guys heard that? I don't know if that would be as such a good way to identify it. Um, it might be quite more difficult, but yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you, Katie, very much. So our next question is about uh, ooh, uh, uh, spices or, or kind of flavorings. Uh, so this is uh, someone who planted mint in their backyard and now it has grown everywhere. They want to know, um, they're saying it's even in the lawn. So what can they do to stop it 
from taking over everything. Yes, so mints can be a tad on the aggressive side um, from at, at times. Um, so probably the easiest way, it's a little late for this person, but one of the ways to kind of contain those is put them in pots um, or raised beds. Don't put them directly in the ground um, if you don't want them spreading to other areas. Um, in a case like this where they've already kind of started to spread, I would start pulling them, um, hand pulling those, those plants. Um, and when you kind of get it contained to where you want it, you're just going to keep on top of that um, and continue continually pull those out. Um, you know, if you don't want to deal with it, maybe dig that plant out, put it in a pot. Um, but yeah, it's if they've got an area where they like to grow, they're just going to keep going and, and spreading. That's, that's one of the issues with mint sometimes. Uh, uh, yeah, and we had lemon balm in our backyard when where we moved. And it's something like Ken said, just keep on top of it. And so I would go out and pick up the dog landmines in the backyard and I would grab a handful also of lemon balm and throw it in the bag. I don't know why, I guess I thought it would like smell less bad. I don't know, didn't really help. But uh, yeah, that's how I stayed on top of mine. Yeah, picking up dog poo kept me on top of my lemon balm problem. Uh, Ken, this next question is also for you because uh, you're going to be talking about citrus trees and uh, it, for one webinar. And so this person has been growing a lemon tree for about five years, but there's still no fruit. Uh, they don't really have a good spot to put it for the winter. And it always looks really bad by the time it gets moved outside for spring. So they want to know, will it ever produce lemons or should they just give up on that dream? So there is, there is the potential. So one kind of question I would ask them is how did they get this plant? Did they grow it from a seed from a lemon that they had, or did they buy this plant? If you, if you're growing it from a seed, it's going to take a little bit longer um, for those to start producing. Um, like a lot of other fruit trees, a lot of times is, um, our citrus is going to be grafted um, onto a rootstock. That is, <clears throat> so their main issue here is going to be that lighting in the winter. Um, these, when you think about where these grow, these are growing in Florida. Texas, Arizona, California. So you've got decent light, pretty good light during the winter and stuff. Um, so that may be um, giving some artificial lighting, getting some grow lamps, something like that to keep that light, those light levels up. Um, it's probably going to help your plant quite a bit. Um, and if you're able to do that, you should hopefully eventually get them to start producing flowers um, and fruit for you. It just may take a little time, but if they're, if they're not getting enough light and they're kind of dropping leaves and they're looking really rough during the winter, I'm not going to say you're never going to get fruit, but you're going to have a hard time getting fruit off of those plants. Excellent. Thank you very much, Ken. And um, this next question that we have here, this is kind of for everybody. Um, so Andrew, we'll, we'll let you kick it off first. Um, in, in this case, this person loves to grow fresh herbs. Uh, they grow them outside in the summer all the time, but they wish they could do it for the winter. So what are some herbs that they could grow inside over winter. Andrew, do you have a favorite or do you, do you grow anything over winter for, for cooking? I would think you could grow some basil indoors. It seems like basil uh, springs up, but there was even, uh, even after the frost, a basil, you know, seedling coming up uh, outside our office because we had, you know, basil and it just seems like a nice plant to utilize in the kitchen and such. So I, I think basil and there's different varieties. So it'd be my, my option. And that's, that was my thought as well. And my strategy is I go out to the basil that we're growing, 
you just cut a little thing off and you put that in the glass of water in the kitchen and it will grow roots in the water. And I mean, you could plant it even or, or don't, uh, but then you can snip some leaves off. And uh, considering I have been taking up making pizza more, homemade pizza, fresh basil on pizza, some mozzarella, mm, tomato sauce, that's the way to go. So I don't know. Katie, do you have a, a, like a fresh herb or something you like to grow indoors for the winter? Yeah, I really like cilantro. Uh, it's nice to add to some. No, you don't like it. Oh my gosh. It's, it's, it's like nice. Soap. To, so I really like to make, oh, I love it. It's, I like to make um, like pad thai or Thai noodles and add that to it. Um, and it's also really good to add to Mexican food. Um, and so it's just like a, such a clean taste, which I guess soap, so soap is a clean taste too. And I got my mouth washed out with soap a lot as a little kid. So, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so, uh, there you go. <laughs> I love that cilantro. We used it the other night. We made some chicken stir fry and, oh yeah, throw oh, cilantro yeah. in there and a little bit of puts it over the top. ginger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So Ken, besides cilantro, what else do you like? So I will to say my wife does like cilantro, but I resist planting it every opportunity I can. <laughs> um, so we've we've got a, we've done some hydroponics at home. So we have an arrow garden. So we've grown basil um, in that. We've grown um, try to grow some mints and stuff. So basically, I mean, if you if you want to put in the effort, you can pretty much grow any of these herbs you want. Um, right now, we're overwintering some rosemary inside. Um, Usually by the time we bring that back out, it's looking pretty rough um, just because don't have a lot of humidity in the house and stuff. Um, we're trying to overwinter um, some oregano in a pot as well. Um, so a lot of our herbs that we grow, we grow them in pots and then we bring them in for the winter and kind of limp them through. And if they die, we just kind of start over. I'd say the one herb that I like growing in pots, but I actually leave it outside. It's in a whiskey barrel is thyme. And it gets some leaves on it, maybe a snow cover. And yeah, a lot of it dies back. But if you pull apart those leaves, if you dig in a little bit, you're going to find some green growth. And so I will pull like stems of thyme out and I'll throw it in like a chicken noodle soup or something like that. And so I, I like growing thyme, but not necessarily indoors. I, I keep it outside and I harvest what I can find. So very good. Yeah. So there's options. There's lots of stuff that we can, we can try out indoors. All right. Last question is for you, Chris. It's, it's our turn to ask you questions now. Um, so <laughs> no, I plead the fifth. So this person set out a, uh, set out bird seed this winter, uh, but the bird feeder was not visited. Um, did they get the wrong kind of seed or what are they doing wrong? So, you know, I, I could just say attend my webinar and you'll find out, but that's mean. I won't do that. There's a few things to think about here though. Um, first thing is, uh, it's pretty close to the start of kind of the bird feeding season. So if this is leftover seed from last year, birds are like us. They don't like eating old, dry, stale food. Um, and we're just coming out of the growing season. So a lot of trees, shrubs, uh, herbaceous plants have put on seed, berries, fruit. And so in terms of plentifulness of food, right now is pretty good for birds. So they, they might maybe you have good bird seed, maybe it's old, but either way, there's plenty for them to forage on. So they're not, they're not going to choose your bird feeder. I've also noticed um, it's still been kind of mild. 
And if you have bird food out and it's still mild, birds don't necessarily need to consume it that much right now. But once it starts getting really cold, then yes, they will because they're gonna need that energy to keep their body temperatures up. So they, they might not need it right now. So we're thinking quality of food, the amount of uh, wild native forage that they have, and then also just do they need it right now? Um, kind of the other things to think about would be, uh, have you been cleaning your bird feeders? You know, did you clean your feeders before setting them out for this uh, cold season? If not, that can also be another deterrent for birds feeding. Again, they will look at a, a dirty moldy feeder and um, say, I'm, I'm going to go over to this grassland over here and forage there instead. I don't need moldy bird seed. Uh, the other thing I've seen in a few instances is uh, actually uh, like a, a paper wasp will build a nest in a bird feeder. And even though they're gone, uh, people might, they might not mess with it, but they'll still put bird seed in there. I don't know, but it, that, that's just a, a, an indication that you need to clean your bird feeder. Um, I think most recommendations say like once every two months. So, and that's a minimum. And so if you're not gonna clean bird feeders, if you're not gonna provide fresh bird seed, then maybe don't feed the birds. And, oh, and the last thing, last thing, potentially there is a hunter nearby. By hunter, I mean like a, a hawk, um, could be a neighborhood cat. Uh, birds can cue into that. And if maybe one bird has, has bit it, the dust uh, at the feeder, then they will avoid that until they know that it's safe again, or that maybe that hawk is hunting at that feeder. And so the birds are avoiding it right now. So having cover, whether it's evergreens or, uh, you know, kind of a dense deciduous shrub uh, would be another way to entice them to come closer because they have cover. Uh, so set your feeder by some cover, but not too close that the cat gets them. So that's a good spot for a cat to hide. Would, when they put it out, make a difference? Like if they waited until January, February to put it out. Yeah. And that's actually when I wait till I wait until the first snow, really. Um, once I get that first snowfall, that's when I set out my suet feeders. I, I don't use bird seed. Um, I prefer feeding suet alone. And that's when I see the most activity is after the first snowfall of the year. So waiting a little bit longer, so we get some, some cold weather and the food resources start to become scarce. You're going to see more bird activity. Well, all right. That was a lot of fantastic information um, on our potpourri version of today's podcast or video cast, depending if you're listening or watching. Uh, Andrew Holsinger, horticulture educator here at good old U of I Extension. Thank you so much for being on the show this week. And we are excited to be working with you once again on another series of webinars. Hey, glad to help. Of course, I, yeah, I know you are. Andrew loves to help. He's the person we call. He's he is our uh, Ghostbuster, like technology gremlin buster is kind of the the thing. Yeah, so Andrew's always full of good tips. So, all right, the Good Growing Podcast is produced by Wendy Ferguson and edited by me, Chris Enroth, and of course, our co-hosts here with us today, we have Katie Parker and Ken Johnson. Thank you both so much for being on the show. It was good seeing you this week. Andrew, thank you for your wealth of knowledge, and thank you, Chris and Ken, for always showing up. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Chris and Katie. Hopefully, we'll see everybody on the webinars, and let's do this again next week.
Oh, we shall do this again <laughs> next week. We're going to be talking turkey with James Theory. James is going to steer us into the world or the the realm of poultry uh, as we get into the Thanksgiving holiday week. So, folks, you know what you're doing. You're doing great listening, watching. Thank you so much for doing that. And as always, keep on growing. <laughs>